Many churches and many pastors will take time once a year or every so often to preach through uh, their mission, vision, and values. Uh, Just to kind of talk about who they are as a church and where they're going. I commend that. We don't tend to do that very often here at Calvary for a reason that I think will become clear as we go through the sermon. But having said that, uh, there are some passages that are sort of so central uh, to the mission of what we're doing that we really need to do that and think through those things that way. And we're at one of those passages this morning. In fact, 18 years ago when I became the senior pastor of this church, The second sermon that I gave, the first one was an Easter sermon. The second sermon, the kind of the first one that I got to kind of pick, uh, I picked this passage that we're in, Matthew 16, and laid out a vision for who it is I thought God was calling us to be as a church. We've not really talked about mission and vision and values in the past 18 years, so maybe it's time for a little update on how we're doing and where we are. And so we're back actually in Matthew 16, And this is a great chance to kind of talk through what are we doing this morning? Like who are we and what are we up to and what does God have planned for us? So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. There's a Bible in the rack in front of you that looks like this. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of those and turn to page 797. And you will be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew's Gospel is the story of Jesus and the things that he taught and did, how he died on a cross for our sins and how God raised him from the dead for our salvation and how God has appointed him as Lord over all things. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, in verse 16, sorry, in chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, we're going to hear Jesus talking Uh, very missionally about who we are. And so we want to spend some time this morning understanding better who it is God is calling us to be and what it is we're supposed to be busy doing. So Matthew 16, I'll begin reading in verse 13. Page 797, Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Jesus is speaking here in this passage about what we're doing this morning. We have gathered together as his church, and that's what he's talking about. He says, I will build my church. And so this gives us a great opportunity to talk about what is the church? What is this thing that we're doing? 
Maybe there's lots of different reasons why you came this morning, but what is this thing that you have come to, and how is it that we are being built by God? So let's talk first about what is the church. Well, the word church simply means assembly. There's not a special word for church. It's a common word. It's used of the church, but also other assemblies, but it simply means to gather together. And so the essence of who we are and what we're doing is that we are assembling together. You've gathered and come this morning. Now, some are not able to be here in person because of physical reasons or other uh, reasons. Many of them join us online, which is not ideal, but a gift from the Lord for those who are not able to be here in person, can join online and are together with us in spirit. But what we're doing this morning, this is what Jesus has in mind. We have assembled together. That's what makes us a church. If you don't ever come to church, you're not part of the church. Giving money doesn't make you a part of the church. Being a member here doesn't make you a part of the church. To be part of what Jesus is talking about, we gather together, we assemble together. That's the essence of what it means to be the church. And so what we're doing this morning is we have assembled together, we have gathered together, we are being the church. Well, Jesus says more about the church. He says that... He will build his church on this rock. Now the Roman Catholic Church would tell you that the rock is Peter. I appreciate that interpretation, but I don't think it's correct. Let me show you why. I want you to look very carefully with me at verse 18. Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter... Petros is his name. It's the Greek word for rock, Petros. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, the reason why I don't think the rock is Peter is because Jesus is talking to Peter, not about Peter. So if you can imagine he is talking to Peter, if he meant that Peter was the rock, he would have said... And I tell you, you are Peter, and on you I will build my church. Or he would have said to the disciples, this is Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus doesn't do either of those. He is talking directly to Peter and says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. In fact, Petros comes from the word for rock. But Jesus says, and you are Petros, with a masculine ending, and on this rock, and then he doesn't say Petros, he says Petra, which is a feminine ending. And so we don't think he has Peter in mind. What does he have in mind? What is the rock on which Jesus builds the church? Well, look back at verse 17. What Jesus is saying about building his church comes in response to Peter's confession in verse 16. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter gives the right answer. It's Jesus has been waiting this whole time for God to reveal to someone who he is. And when he asks, 
who do you think I am? <clears throat> well, he asks, who do the crowds think I am? There's lots of answers. Maybe a prophet, somebody important. But then he says, what about you guys? And then Peter gives the answer. It's the right answer. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so Jesus is responding to what God has said through Peter. And in verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. What's the this referring to? That you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So when you get to verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this, what do you think this refers to? The same thing it did in verse 17, which is the confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. So what we would say is we're not just an assembly of people. There's lots of assemblies. There's lots of gatherings that take place. As the church, we are the assembly of people who confess Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God. We've gathered here because we believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the son of God. That's the rock on which the church is being built. Jesus says one more thing about the church in our passage. He says in verse 19, still to Peter, I give you, or I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I have here my keys. <clears throat> on this key ring, I have a key, well, a key fob and a key, uh, to this building. Having keys to the building doesn't mean that I own the building. It means that I get to use the building. So the keys unlock the doors, and I get to use the building for what the building is intended for. I'm not the only one with keys to this building. We've made lots and lots of copies of, this key, of the keys, and we've given them to uh, other staff members, we've given them to elders, we've given them to deacons. Lots and lots of people have keys to this building, indicating that lots of people are here doing the work that God intends to be done. This is what he means when he's talking to Peter. He's talking about keys metaphorically because when Jesus talks about the church, he's not talking about a building. He's talking about a group of people. And he gives to Peter keys that represent Peter's ability to work in and through the church, to serve, to lead the church, to cause the assembly of people to do the thing that Jesus has designed us to do. But Peter didn't keep the keys just to himself. He made lots and lots of copies of those keys. It says in 1 Peter that he gave copies of those keys that people who are functioning as elders or people who are functioning as ministers like he is, they're doing the same work. They've got the same keys, if you will, that Peter has. And so Jesus is talking here about, well, what is the church? It's the assembly of people who confess Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and who are served and led by elders, ministers, and deacons. And so in this passage, Jesus is defining for us what is this thing that we're doing. Now there's actually more that the Bible says that makes the church the church. 
There are more things that sort of differentiate the church from other organizations. What we are doing this morning from other kinds of assemblies and other kinds of gatherings. We're not going to go through all of those this morning if you're interested. I wrote a book called The Gift of Church. And in the back of that book, I list eight things from the Bible that I think make the church the church different from all other institutions. You can look those up if you're interested. In our passage, we have these three. To be the church is the assembly of those who confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and who are served by elders, deacons, and ministers. Which means that what Jesus is talking about this morning is what we are doing here. He's not talking about Youth for Christ, for example, or Spring Hill Camps, or Wedgwood Christian Services, or Bible Study Fellowship, or Alpha Women's Center. All of those institutions and organizations are wonderful, but they're not the church. And so I'm not talking about them this morning, and Jesus is not talking about them this morning. What he's talking about is what we're doing here. And to be the church... We're the assembly of those who confess Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who are served and led by elders, ministers, and deacons, which makes what's happening here different than every other organization that's not the church in the world. So that's who we are or what we are. The question is, what is our mission? And again, churches have mission statements. We have a mission statement. We have a mission statement. This is our mission statement. We have it because 18 years ago, when Lisa and I were interviewing for this job, at the night before one of the interviews or something, I woke up in sort of a deep fear and sweat and thought to myself, oh, what if somebody asks me what I think the mission of the church ought to be? Like, what should a mission statement for a church ought to be? And this just gave me great fear because I'm not good at sort of mission statement writing and I'm not good at missional sort of thinking. And it just reminded me how extremely unqualified for this job I felt at that moment. And so in the middle of the night when I woke up, it was just one more reminder, Lord, what in the world are you doing asking me to do this? But as only God can, as soon as the sudden panic or fear woke me up, the very next thought that popped in my mind was Matthew 16. And this mission statement, to be Christ's church in this place. I went back to sleep, and the next day at the interview, they actually asked me that question. <laughs> if you could write a mission statement for the church, what would it be? And I answered very confidently, to be Christ's church in this place. And that's been our mission statement here at Calvary for the last 18 years. Now, you may look at that mission statement, and you think, well, that actually doesn't say very much. That's true. But let me tell you why it is that I think God chose this mission statement for our church for this season. You see, to be Christ's church in this place is trying to communicate something very specific. To help you understand that, let me ask you this question. If you asked a child, what is their mission statement in life, what do you think they might say? I mean, probably they would say, I have no idea what that question even means. <clears throat> but maybe if you pressed them and tried to ask them, like, what do you think you're here on this earth to do? 
They might say, well, well, we're here to go to school or here to be part of this family or here to show up to family meals or I'm supposed to love my siblings or I'm supposed to play and enjoy life or I'm supposed to grow up or whatever. They might have lots of possible answers to that question. But if we were to answer that question, what is the mission of a child? The answer probably should be is to be a child. Like it's really more the parents who have the mission The parents are supposed to help the child grow up in maturity. The parents are supposed to help the child become who he or she is supposed to be. The child is supposed to obey the parents. Well, this is our version of children obey your parents. If you look in this passage, it's not Peter and the disciples who are given the mission. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one doing the stuff. Jesus says, I will build my church. We are the church, and so what is our mission? Our mission is to be built. Jesus' job is to do the building. Our job is to get built. This is our version of children obey your parents. It's an acknowledgement that it's Jesus who has the mission. We are the mission. So we have a mission statement, but it's meant to reflect the fact that he's the one doing the work. We're the one responding to what he's doing. And 18 years ago in that second sermon, I made a point that I would like to remake 18 years later to re-emphasize. And that is, I said that in the Bible, the 114 sometimes that the word church is used in the New Testament, never once is there a personal possessive pronoun used with the word church. Paul never refers to them as his churches. When John is writing, he never talks to people about your church. When Peter is talking to all of the different Christians, he never refers to their churches. It is never, there is nowhere in the New Testament is a personal possessive pronoun, his, yours, mine, is it used Except here. Jesus says, I will build my church. What we're doing this morning, this isn't my church. It's not your church. It's not our church. It's Jesus' church. This mission statement is meant to reflect the fact that we are not in charge here. We are responding to what he is doing that he's the Lord, we're the church. He's the head, we're the body. When you come here, when you participate, he's the one who's running the show. Our job is to pray and to listen. That's why we pray so much in this church. Our job is to hear him speaking through his word. He is the word of God and he gives us the word of God so that we can obey him. He's the one we're gathered here about. You didn't come here to hear from me. You didn't come here to hear from us. You came to hear from him. We came to hear from him. We're here because he is worthy. This is his church. And so for the last 18 years and counting, our mission statement is meant to remind us that this is Jesus' church. And our job is to let him be Lord here. Our job is to let him tell us what to do. And so there's our mission statement. Other churches have other mission statements with scripture in it that are excellent. 
This is the one God gave us for the season that we're in now. And it's meant to communicate that we're the ones getting built. He's the one doing the work. This church belongs to him. This passage also allows us to kind of think through at least one of our values as a church. We have lots of values of the church. I just mentioned prayer, that's a value. I mentioned the scriptures, that's a value. Another value is the priority of the local church, meaning we prioritize this institution. That's one of our values here at the church. You see, it's quite noteworthy to me that 2,000 years ago, when God had the option to design any kind of institution he wanted, that he could have designed anything to have Jesus build, that what he designed is the church. He didn't design any parachurch ministries, as wonderful as they may be. He didn't, he didn't design something that looks like secular businesses. He didn't design things that look like schools. He designed this. And this is what God has been building for the last 2,000 years. It's powerful to me that everywhere in the world, for all of time, since the Holy Spirit was point out, poured out at Pentecost, people have been doing this. Now the details might differ slightly, but we gather together, regardless of language or race or era in which we live, we gather together as the church to worship Jesus, to give, to share, to encourage one another, to do the ordinances of baptism and communion, to preach the word, to respond, to obey. This is what Christians have been doing ever since Jesus said, I will build my church. And so we give priority to this institution because this is the only institution designed by God, filled by the Spirit to do what Jesus is planning to do. It's powerful to me that in A.D. 33, when the Spirit comes at Pentecost, there was one church. And now, there are millions of churches. It is powerful to me that in A.D. 33, there were 120 believers in Jesus gathered in an upper room. And now there are billions. Why? Because Jesus has been building his church. He's done exactly what he said he would do. The reason why we prioritize the local church is the local church is being built by Jesus. So it's reproducing. The local church leads people to faith. The local church plants other churches. This is how we got from one church to millions of church. How we got from 120 believers to billions of believers is through this institution. It was not schools and it was not businesses and it was not government and all of those things are wonderful. But this institution is unique. Because Jesus is building the church, it's also self-sustaining. We exist without all the other institutions trying to help us. The church can be self-supporting. Jesus provides for the church the money that it needs, the people resources that it needs to do the work that we've been called to do. 
if governments didn't exist or if schools didn't exist or businesses didn't exist, the church can still exist. It's not dependent on other institutions. We prioritize the local church because Jesus is building the church, which also means the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Do you realize there is no other institution on the planet that this promise is made of? There is nothing else of which this is said. That Jesus has declared on his own authority that the escalating darkness in the world will not overcome his church. You can't say that about governments. You can't say that about schools. You can't say that about businesses. You can't even say it about parachurch ministries. There's only one institution that Jesus has promised. No matter what, the church will not be overrun by darkness. It doesn't matter how sinful the world gets. It doesn't matter how satanic the powers that be are. The church will stand firm because Jesus said he would build his church. And so when you're just thinking practically, what institution do you want to push all your chips in? What institution do you want to go for broke with? We've prioritized the local church. Amen. Which means we don't talk as much about government here or the nuclear family and society here, for example, as some might want. It's not because we're against those. I believe God also created government. I believe God also created the family. But the church is unique. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is being built by Jesus. And so while we pray for government, we pay our taxes to the government, we try to submit to what the government asks us to do under the authority of the Lord, we want to speak truth to power when it comes to government, at the end of the day, we're all in on the church. And while we're for the nuclear family and society, and while we regret the fact that sin is reaping such destruction on the nuclear family, while we want to support and encourage the nuclear family and society, while we want families to be part of what's going on in the church, we've gone all in, not on family, but on church. You don't have to be married to be part of Jesus' church. You don't have to be a citizen of any country to be part of Jesus' church. And so here, while appreciating and being grateful for the family and the government and schools and businesses and parachurch, one of our priorities is, is that we're focused on the local church. Which leads to sort of how our vision works itself out. So what do we envision this looking like well, we envision trying to be a healthy church. This is what we're going for. Calvary Church, we want to be the church Jesus wants to be for us, those whom he entrusts to this assembly. 
What we do, what we're putting our energy in is we want to be able to worship in spirit and truth here. We want all of us to come together and be able to serve God. We want to have programs here that are blessings to children and to youth and to young adults and to adults and to senior adults. We want to have opportunities here to be able to help people grow and mature in their faith. We want to help each of us learn how to take what we're learning here and use it in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and our schools and all the places that we are. What do we envision happening? We envision Jesus building a healthy church here at Calvary. And that's what we're working towards. We've got a long way to go. But we keep reforming, we keep working, we keep striving after. This is our vision, that God would build a church here that's healthy and mature, a light in this community, a blessing to you and to me that we might continue to assemble here and we might experience Jesus' presence with us. That's the first part of our vision. The second part of our vision is that we don't just exist for ourselves. The church exists for the world that doesn't yet know Jesus. And so we work this out in a couple of ways. We want to be at Calvary, the church Jesus wants us to be, to bless the whole world. One of the ways we work that out is something we call our mercy and missions area here at the church. And that area especially is responsible for helping us love all who are in need, anywhere in the world, anywhere in our community, no matter what the need, to show them love and to share the gospel with everybody. That we as a church have been called to be a light in a dark world and the only hope for this world is not government, or business, or school, or even healthy nuclear families. The only hope for this world is Jesus. And the bride of Jesus, the thing most closely connected to Jesus, is his church. And so by being his church, we are bringing Jesus to the world. The love of Jesus to those who are hurting. The good news that Jesus saves to those who are lost. And so what we call mercy and missions is helping us do this. We also, with something we call the Jerusalem Project, we partner with existing churches, we train church leaders, and we plant new churches because we're all in on the local church. And the vision we have, and perhaps you can sort of close your eyes and envision it with me, is I see a world filled with darkness. I see darkness in the Middle East. I see darkness in Ukraine and in Russia. I see darkness in Ethiopia and in Niger and Somalia. I see darkness in India. I see darkness in China. I see a lot of darkness in America. And in the midst of all that darkness, I see springing up points of light. I see churches being planted. I see people coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I see that all that angry darkness, all that sin, all that incivility, all that satanic power, all that demonic energy, I see it unable to overcome the light. And so this is our vision. 
I see this in West Michigan. This is why we're not here sort of trying to, how do we fix the society of West Michigan? I would like the society in West Michigan to get better, but I think it gets better when you plant healthy churches and when you encourage people to be the church. And so we're trying in the midst of a tidal wave of darkness to plant the one institution that darkness can't overcome, to build a wall of light that is a fortress and a stronghold and a shield. You know what this is like, right? You go into the world and it's just a tidal wave. It's just overwhelming and God says, you are the light of the world. And so this is our vision. We envision Calvary Church being a light in West Michigan and a light around the world. And we envision this being a place us being a people where we get to experience the blessings of Jesus' presence here and be his hands and feet reaching out to a world that desperately needs to know him. So maybe it'll be another 18 years before we go over mission, vision, and values again. I don't know. I'm not in charge. But I do want you to understand from Matthew 16 that Jesus has promised to build his church. And we're here because he's doing his work. One of the things I find most fascinating, we want to sort of close with this. You want proof that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God? Do you want proof that he's not just some sort of prophet or he's not some sort of just good teacher, that he's not some sort of just sort of religious leader or that he said some really cool things that people latched onto? Look around the world today. Think of all the things that have happened since the year A.D. 33. Think of the world wars. Think of artificial intelligence. Think of all the technology that's happened. Think of nuclear warfare. Think of discovering new lands which weren't known in A.D. 33. Think of all the different kinds of forms of government and all the different ways in which people have spread out and done things. Think about going to the moon and all this kind of stuff. Think of all the changes since A.D. 33. The persecution against Christianity, the post-Christian world that some people live in, anti-Christian stuff that's going on. Jesus made a prediction and a promise. I will build my church. How's he doing? All over the world. In countries that weren't even known at the time that Jesus spoke these words. He promised that there would be nothing that would overcome the church. Even all the church's mistakes, the Inquisition and the Crusades and sexual abuse scandals and all the various things that we've done wrong, does the church still exist? Is Jesus still building his church? Are there not a whole bunch of other institutions that were around at the time of Jesus that are not here anymore? How can somebody make an accurate prediction of where we would be 2,000 years later? Who would have the courage to go out and say, I will build this institution and this institution will still be here at the end of time? Who can do that except God? And so if you want proof that Jesus is who he said he was, just take a look around. How in the world did we get here? From a, the church didn't even exist when Jesus said these words. 
And when the Spirit came at Pentecost, the church was born. And for 2,000 years, in every different kind of political situation, in every different kind of setting, in every different kind of adversity, persecution, mess-ups of the church, in every possible thing, everywhere, Satan has been fighting his best to get rid of the church. And has he won? Jesus is who he said he was. And the fact that he still wants to be associated with us, despite all the junk the church has done, despite all the ways you've messed up, despite all the ways I've messed up, despite all the ways we've messed up, who is Jesus? He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And the church bears witness to the truthfulness of that statement. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are your hands and feet. It's amazing to me that you've chosen us to do this. Forgive us for thinking we were the head and that we should be in charge. Forgive us for thinking that we knew better how to run church and how to do these things. We fall on our faces, we get on our knees, and we acknowledge you, Jesus, are building the church. We're simply the ones being built. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving this world this much. Lord, would you please continue to make Calvary into the church you want it to be? I've got my ideas. People in this room have their ideas. But it's your ideas that we want. Lord, it's your plans. When I look back over these 18 years, when I look back over 90 some plus years, all the good that I see are the things you were doing. And so Lord, continue to make us and remake us in your image. Lord, I pray for churches around the world. Lord God, churches that we've planted, churches that we've connected with, churches that we don't know anything about. Lord, I pray for churches in Israel and in Gaza. Lord, I pray for churches in Ukraine and in Russia. I pray for churches in Somalia and in Ethiopia and Niger. I pray for churches in China and India. I pray for churches all over the world and churches here in America. Lord God, the darkness is ever growing, but your light is shining brighter. And so, Lord, for those churches that are being persecuted, would you be their shield and protector? For those churches that have fallen into complacency, would you rebuke them and correct them and call them back to the path? For those churches that feels like their light is flickering, Lord, would you fill them with your presence and your power and your glory? Lord, for those churches that are proclaiming your word, may they see the power of the gospel and may they see people come to faith. And Lord, may your church be built all over this world. And I know you will do it whether we ask or not, but we just want to be participating with you in the asking. And so Jesus, do great things here at Calvary and around the world. Forgive the church for all her many sins. Forgive us for our sins. But thank you, Jesus, for being greater than all our failures. We pray this in your name. Amen.